This is episode number 814 with Penn Gillette, New York Times bestselling author and longest running show in Las Vegas. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Walt Dahl said, and above all, watch with glittering eyes the whole world around you, because the greatest secrets are always hidden in the most unlikely places. Those who do not believe in magic will never find it. Welcome to this episode. Super excited. We've got Penn Gillette from Penn & Teller, who is a magician, actor, musician, inventor, TV personality, and author best known for his work as half of the world-renowned magic duo Penn & Teller. For over 40 years, Penn & Teller have been redefining the genre of magic and inventing their own very distinct niche in comedy. They have hosted Emmy-winning TV specials, performed sold-out runs on Broadway and around the world, and created the longest-running headline act in Las Vegas. Penn has written three books, including the New York Times bestsellers, God No and Presto, and Penn & Teller currently hosts the hit series Penn & Teller Fool Us for the CW Network, which is a show that I love. The duo have recently joined the Masterclass family in releasing a 14-lesson series now available online. His podcast, Penn's Sunday School, is available for listening on all major platforms as well. In this interview, we talk about the many surprising ways that Penn's weight loss changed his life. How being an atheist led him to having a deep intellectual relationship with religion, Penn's powerful relationship with his parents, and what they taught him about humor, optimism, and pride, his important partnership with Teller, and how it shaped them into the longest-running duo in Las Vegas, and how empathy is the key for success in art and magic as well. Super excited about this. Make sure to share this with your friends. Be a hero for someone today. Spread the message of greatness. Just tag them, text them. The link is lewishiles.com slash 814. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, guys, I'm excited about this one. Without further ado, let me introduce to you the one and only... 
Penn Gillette. Welcome everyone to the School of Greatest Podcast. We've got a non-changing interview with, sure. with Penn. Good to see you, man. Good Thank to see you for you. being here. I appreciate it. We're shaking it. hands for those of you who haven't got the video. Yeah. Thank you for being here, man. You've been uh, good to talk to a tall guy. I know. Good to talk to a tall guy. Usually I go way down in my chair and I go like this. So I'm on like sure. So I'm not, you know, you do the opposite of what Stern yeah. does. Oh, Stern puts really? himself on a on a uh, on a, a pedestal. High, yeah, he's he's up a little. High. And he's like seven feet tall or something. It seems uh, like. he's uh, he's uh, about a half inch shorter than me. Oh, really? Yeah. You're six six. Uh, about, I'm right? about six seven. Wow. He's right about six six. But you've leaned out a lot in the last. I've leaned out. I've, uh, I've lost uh, 110 pounds over the over the past uh, since I was 60, and I'm 64 now. Wow. On my 60th birthday is when I. Uh, I feel like that's one of the hardest things for someone to do as they get older is to change a habit that you're so used to doing. Yeah, we're nothing but we're nothing but habits, and uh, it's a very powerful thing. You know, there's a uh, there's a there's a there's a Buddhist metaphor that uh, we are all uh, riding an elephant, and we have this little bit of control we can do, and there's all the stuff that's below the conscious level that they use as the uh, as the elephant metaphor and there's a there's, it's very very hard to kind of um trick the parts of your mind and your body that have uh, have an agenda uh momentum is uh, tremendously powerful and your uh, your mind will play uh, an awful lot of tricks to keep things stable for good reason keep it going the there's good way. evolutionary reasons for that how long were you? And there's wicked evolutionary reasons for being fat. I mean, that's a really, really good idea if you're living on a savanna, which is all we've ever done. You know? Right. We haven't. The amount of time since agriculture is 10,000 years. So you've right. got a million years that we're set for doing one thing. The human brain of conditioning yeah, yeah. to store Yeah, food, conditioning, but eat. also just uh, evolving for that. Yeah. And that's the purpose. Uh, for... A billion years, the biggest problem every living thing had was too few calories. And then for um, half a century, one species in one geographical area and only some of them have the problem of too many calories. It's, it's It's a... It's a... it's a problem that really uh, is not going to be solved in a few mm. generations. And same with the information. You know, uh, mm-hmm. we now in one uh, one issue of the New York Times, we have more information than somebody three hundred years ago would have gotten in their whole life. Incredible. One, one, one issue, and so to be able to process that much information, it's like going through that many calories. You get a cheeseburger, and CNN, you're dealing with all sorts of stuff that no primates ever dealt with. How do we handle it all? We're badly, but um, the, the remarkable thing is, with all these uh, breathtaking challenges, things have continued to get better at an astonishing rate. And uh, also, the rate at which they're getting better is also improving. Mm. I mean, uh, uh, one of the real head scratchers scientists have is trying to figure out why, even since the 80s, uh, violence is just going away. It's going we, away. We live days. in the least violent time uh, that's ever existed on the planet. Why do they make it seem like it's more violent? Uh, it's the information. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, uh, most studies say that uh, we're pretty much geared to deal with uh, two or three hundred people. We can imagine uh, barely two or three hundred people. 
And if we still had the information for two or three hundred people, you would probably not know anybody who'd been shot. Mm. You wouldn't know anybody that had been mugged. Uh, you wouldn't know anybody that went, won the lottery. Uh, you wouldn't know any of those things. And now that we have this information, it's very, very hard to um, watch, uh, which is why I don't, to watch uh, a television footage mm. yeah. of some atrocity and remember that it didn't happen uh, to you or anyone around you. I mean, right. uh, school shootings, as, as horrific as they are, are uh, uh, just in a, going down. It's a tiny, yeah. tiny amount, but the coverage is so much greater. Yeah. And it's very, you know, my, my daughter uh, at her school, I was so angry. They, they were giving them uh, drills on how to deal with an active shooter. And I said to my daughter, Mox, are they, uh, are they giving you drills on how to deal with a bear attack? Because you are a little more likely to be attacked by a bear in your school wow. than you are a school shooter. Most adults want to take care of you. No one's trying to hurt you. You are very, very safe. And here are these um, uh, mathematically challenged adults who don't have the strength to let their children know the simple fact that their children are safe. You would think that giving your children the information that they're safe would be a joyous thing, but people uh, don't find it sexy. Why do we live in so much fear when we're safer than ever? I mean, I don't want to be—I don't want to be cynical because I'm not, uh, and I don't think there's a conspiracy. But there's uh, a lot of money to be made by attention. Fear is one of the quickest ways to get attention, mm -hmm. which is why you have the uh, you know all the shock quotes and shock headlines. Right. There's a nice rule of thumb. If a headline has a question in it, the answer is no. <laughs> Are plastics killing us? No. <laughs> Almost any question. It's very funny. It's, it's a, um, I forgot whose law it is. It has, you know, it has a colloquial so-and-so's law that if a question, if there's a question in a headline, the answer is no. But since I read that a few years ago, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's bore up very well. That's good. Uh, what are you most proud of in the last few years about uh, yourself, something you've done, something you've created, something you haven't done? I think I'm proud of being a, uh, a little kinder. I think that's important. I think I'm... Were you not uh, always so kind? Yeah, well, there's an Elvis Costello line, I don't mean to be mean much anymore. I don't think I was ever, uh, especially... In the, in the waters in which I swim of, uh, of comics and so on, I don't think I was at the high end of, uh, uh, of mean, but I think for, uh, for regular humanity, I was probably in the middle, and I'd like to go the other way. I think it's all that matters now. Why is I, it something that matters to you now at 64? We've, uh, we've come to a place, um, no one knows the reason, but there... There seems to be more of a sense of thinking that people are evil instead of thinking they're wrong. Uh, somehow we don't use the word wrong very often and we use all sorts of other vilifications. So someone who disagrees with somebody uh, politically is more apt to say that that person has um, nefarious, unpleasant motives and to simply say they're wrong. And I mean, you look back, uh, on uh, Martin Luther King or Gandhi and all they accomplished. Very rarely, very rarely, you can find a few cases, but they're rare. Does Martin Luther King ever say anything against the people? He doesn't talk about 
racist bastards or people keeping us down or doesn't talk about that. All he's talking about is could we get the same deal? Mm -hmm. And you just don't see that kind of rhetoric. The rhetoric tends to be, I think maybe because um, we don't have anyone who's as, as good a speaker, mm. you know, it's easier, it's easier to write stuff that's full of hate right. than stuff that's full of kindness. It's just easier. And it's anyone just, can do it on social media quickly behind a faceless. Yeah, you know, if you're to talk, well, I tried to take a blame for this and uh, a tech person that I know said it will lose everybody. You know, I, I believed, and I even spoke about it at MIT and other places. I believed in the uh, 90s, early 90s, that when we had, uh, uh, when the gatekeepers were gone mm -hmm. and anybody uh, could talk about anything without someone editing coming in, I really believed that, that uh, the egalitarian quality of that was, was going to be wonderful. Mm. And I did not see any downside to it at all. And no one else did. I mean, it's very hard to find writing at that time where someone says that. And it turns out there's a, there's a big downside to it. It turns out that um, having, th usually it's, it's blamed on Twitter, but having a, a situation where uh, what gets the most attention is something that's shocking can lead to, uh, uh, it, it, it leads to a, a, almost a um, militarization yeah. of, um, of sloppy thinking. It weaponizes it, you know, weaponizes uh, shock. And, uh, you know, we're seeing that a lot. And it's just, you know, it's just an adjustment. You know, the, the danger of that is, you know, there's a great Bob Dylan line, fearing not I become my enemy in the instant that I preached. But it's very hard to explain that there are some problems with Twitter and information without actually saying things are getting worse. Because you have to remember that while this is happening, everything is getting better. I mean, there are fewer people. This is an astonishing fact. There are fewer people starving today than there were 100 years ago. And that's not a percentage. That's actual numbers. And when you realize the population is more than doubled, it, it's phenomenal. Right. And most of our most of our improvements have been in developing countries, right. mostly Africa, India, China. Yeah, food, water, education. Yeah, and all these well, things are you've got uh, the, the number of um, girls going to school now. It's exponential is, from it's huge, 20, huge. 30 years ago. Yeah. And girls, girls going to school is a really good indicator of uh, of everything else good. Yes. The more girls that go to school, fewer people are starving, yeah. better children are cared for, better prenatal care. The economy's everything. better, yeah. Yeah, everything. everything. Less early pregnancies, all yes, these everything. things. All yeah. that stuff just happens. It's one of those, uh, we don't know whether it's cause or effect, but those right. things happen. So things are good. That's good. And that's one of the most um, radical, unpopular things you can say, yeah. is that just things are going better. Yeah. Because people try to uh, misrepresent that often as uh, complacency mm -hmm. and not caring. Yeah. And it's actually quite the opposite. You, you can care very much about one person while saying six people are not suffering that were before. You can, that's an easy thing to do. Right. If anything, it puts more attention on taking care of the, uh, the, the problems we still have. Sure, sure. So... You know, the problem that one of the problems that you had, it sounded like, was your weight. 
Now, how did, how did you trick yourself or change your momentum and change your mindset around it to actually stay committed to you it? You know, I thought about this a lot, and I get asked about this a lot. And, you know, we don't really have access to what the real truth is. We, we, we make up stories that, that are close. But um, I was wicked fat. And wicked sick from being fat. Taking and lots I was of medications, the right? Yeah, yeah. High blood pressure, you know, which is, they try to pretend is genetic, but seems to not be. Yeah, it's not. Uh, see, you don't have high blood pressure now, right? What's that? You don't have high blood Actually, pressure. I do still a little, but um, that's because... Stress and fif- No, 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 50 years, 50 years of a bad diet will clog you up a lot. So the people that change diets phenomenally... The improvement is 10, 15 years. It's yeah. not it's not instant because you've got all this shit to clean out of mm-hmm. your system. Uh, but I was in the hospital, and uh, everybody thinks that there's epiphanies that happen in the hospital. I don't believe anything anyone says in the hospital on New Year's Eve or right after they come. I don't believe anything <laughs> they say then. And for me, it was all three simultaneous. Yeah. That's not true. <laughs> but um, So I was in the hospital, and... My doctor had said that they were going to have to do a uh, uh, stomach operation to get me to lose Surgery, weight. yeah. And um, because I didn't want to argue, I said, okay, but let's see how the next few months go. And then I got out of the hospital, and there was no sort of epiphany. I began doing the, you know, well, I'll eat a piece of fish, and I'll eat a little bit less, and I'll exercise. A friend of mine, Ray Cronice, who I call Cray Ray, Ray Cronice happened to come backstage, and he's a NASA guy that I knew from NASA. And um, he'd been really interested in weight stuff. And the sentence that was said Hmm. that completely changed me was, he was talking a lot about diet. And I said, uh, well, you know, could you help me lose 30 pounds? The doctor said, uh, I should lose 30 pounds and then they could keep my blood pressure under control with medication. And he said, "Why, why why wouldn't you go for like a, over 100, 30 pounds is nothing. And I said, uh, well, I don't know. To, to lose that much, uh, could I do that easily? And he said, no. It'd be <laughs> really, really hard. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already 
already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. And I realized uh, later, it wasn't, it wasn't at that moment. The way you tell the story, it's at that moment. But I realized that um, I've never enjoyed moderation and I've never enjoyed easy. I don't even respect people who have moderation. I don't even have that kind of uh, I don't think it's uh, equanimity. I don't mm. think it's I don't think it's a it's a positive quality. People do not celebrate walking up a grassy slope. Mm. They celebrate, you know, climbing mountains. And uh, I realized that everything I'd enjoyed doing had been difficult. And here I was trying to change my diet uh, in really easy ways, you know. Well, well t- instead of having a having three ounces of meat instead of ten ounces of right. meat, and have a little more vegetables on your plate, and get a smaller plate, and do a fifteen minutes of exercise. Da, 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 da. It's not gonna do much. A- and uh, all everything, everything says that. Everything says moderation. And there's even all these um, very deeply ingrained myths that you can't lose weight quickly, you have to lose it slowly, the fad diets and all of this. And um, Cray Ray came in and said, you know, oh, this is going to be really hard. This will be as hard as, you know, getting your name on a theater in Vegas. And I said, hey, now, now we're talking. Right. Now we're talking about fun. Speaking my language. Yeah. Talking about fun. I hadn't realized that about myself. I should have been so aware of that about myself. It seems like bedrock to who I am, but it never affected lifestyle. So I, you know, I did... Um, very extreme stuff. We, uh, I am a uh, very strong skeptic, a very strong atheist. So is Cray Ray. And Cray Ray said, you know, um, there's all this cult stuff that really works. So although we know this is bullshit, we're going to do some of it. Right. So from now on, you don't talk to anybody about what you eat at all, ever. It's complete secret. From now on, you do everything I say all the time. We're going to jack into your cult stuff just to lose the weight and change the habits. And we know it's not true, but we're going to go with it. We're going to play along with it like we're watching a movie. And he also, he said, you know, 50% of what I'm saying to you is bullshit, but we don't know which 50%. We're working on it. We're doing studies. We don't know yet. We'll find out more in five years, but sorry, it's now. Do it all. Yeah, 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 do it all. So, um... I did a mono diet for two weeks. What does that mean? A mono diet means eating one food. And the one we chose was potatoes. Only one food all yeah. day? Yeah. Is because it, it was funny. Right. Also because it was kind of a f*** you to the paleo people who talk about how bad potatoes starches, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Starches. Um, just eat potatoes. And what you're doing with that, what you're doing with a mono diet, and there's a, there's actually some a good amount of science. It could have been also it could have been rice. could have been anything. But what you're doing is you have then eliminated yourself from the food culture. Yeah. 
you're just going to eat potatoes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's no options. You've also teach yourself something about hunger. I had never experienced hunger. I experienced cravings, which are very, very different. Probably Always time, a different yeah. feeling in your throat, you know. If you have a desire for a certain food, you're not hungry. You're craving. Mm, you're salivating. Yeah, you're yeah. Like... But if you want a hamburger, you're not hungry. If you want anything, you're hungry. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you're craving if you want a hamburger, yeah. Yeah, if you... If, if, Pizza, yeah. If, but if you want a potato, then you're hungry. If you want pizza, then it's advertising. You know, it's, 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 <laughs> it's good it's salt, yeah, yeah. salt, sugar. So you do two weeks of that, and it's amazing. There's physiological logical changes that are astonishing because uh, you're having so much less salt. When I say potatoes, I really do mean potatoes. I don't mean mashed potatoes. I don't mean fried potatoes. I mean Cold. nothing whatsoever. No, nothing whatsoever added. Just a cold potato? And nothing you... subtracted. Wow. So you can have it hot. Okay, but baked, you. boiled, any kind of potato, sweet no, potato. No olive oil, no salt, no. Not not a bit of pepper, not a bit of salt, wow. nothing, just that. And also no, no schedule. That's really important. Not breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Whenever you want. Just whenever you want. And I would say to him, you know, can I eat any amount? He said, sure. Why don't you overeat? Just, be sick Just go overeat potatoes. <laughs> Do that. I want to see it. I want to see what it's like to overeat potatoes because I've never seen it. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, there you can get a lot of calories from potatoes. He goes, sure, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sit down. Eat them all. Actually, we'll, we'll buy you 15 pounds. Yeah, Finish those up today. <laughs> <laughs> and so for two weeks, I ate potatoes. And at the end of that, it was amazing how billboards got disgusting. Other people eating sloppy food got really disgusting to me. Also, you get so many nutrients from potatoes. Your protein, everything are all there. So you're healthy, but you're operating at a huge calorie deficit. So you, because you can't eat that much. You just can't eat that much potato. No matter how much they'll tell you, potatoes are full of starch and make you fat. Yeah. To eat a thousand calories of potatoes a day is wicked hard. Hard. So if you figure that, you know, I don't do calorie counting, but if you figure when I was wicked fat, I was eating, what, four or 5,000 calories a day, and I immediately popped down to 800, you start losing, and of course, a lot of this is water, a lot of this is salt, but you start losing three or four pounds a day. It's, wow. it's astonishing. And you actually feel different, and you get this. And then, over the next three months, we so two weeks you're down thirty pounds already. Not, not thirty pounds. Twenty pounds, fifteen uh, pounds. But in two weeks you're down. Uh, yeah, yeah, twenty twenty. You got a lot of weight to lose though. Yeah, a lot, yeah. yeah. And uh, so a lot of that's false, but you, it's sure. down. And then you start adding things in very, very slowly. And there's a moment that's so fascinating, and no one believes me. No one believes me except I've had like five or six dozen friends who have done the same thing. And you tell them, day 14, you're gonna have an ear of corn. And the ear of corn you're gonna eat after two weeks of potatoes is gonna be the best food you ever had. Ever. And the great thing is, and I, I have a friend, and I, I, I do not think he's kidding in any way. He believed he had been pranked. And he believed that we had put salt, sugar, and butter all onto the core, the core yeah. and we had hidden it somewhere. And he absolutely was sure of it, because you so that first sweet. bite, you go, man! It's First of all, it's like candy. 
It's like theater popcorn. Wow. It's the most intense food ever. And what you've done is you've taken, you've been, you know, I have been, I don't know why, second person. I've been slathering my taste buds in my body with salt, sugar, and fat for 50 years, 55 years. Wow. And all of a sudden, they got two weeks to just go, you know, we're not doing that anymore. And I actually got to taste corn. And I was saying stuff later, like, uh, I remember three weeks later going, man, celery is salty. And he goes, yes, celery is really salty. Nobody knows it. Wow. Because <laughs> we're having so much salt. And then I, um, I mean, the number that matters is over, um, over three and a half months, closer to four. Over four months, I averaged, and the word we're underlining there is averaged, mm-hmm. 0.9 pounds a day. Wow. 0.9 Four pounds months. a day, which means you get this, you get all these psychological effects that are shocking. You get, um, you get mirror shock. Which you see yourself like, well, the first time you walk by a mirror and don't recognize yourself, and it happens because you're losing weight really fast. You also get, um, you get these weird Superman feelings because mm. if you're losing, you know, six, seven pounds in a week. Uh, taking six, seven pounds off your shoulders is noticeable. And they found from studies that the faster you lose weight, the more likely you are to keep it off, which is contrary to what a lot of people say. And the other thing is that um, during that three or four months, not allowed to exercise. At all. At all. Well, yeah. I mean, you're walking you're around living. your living right. life. And it's amazing how you fight against that. You go, can I just run from my car to the theater? Would Burn that be okay? Yeah, yeah. No, no, just because you want to feel it. You feel so great. And you just don't want to be bodybuilding. Which is really funny because one of the quickest ways to gain weight is to eat a lot of frequent meals of high protein and exercise a lot, yeah. <laughs> which is precisely what they're giving people to do. So I lost that weight. I have rebounded some. I mean, over the over the um, four and a half years, I put up back on 20 pounds yeah. a little bit. I did some playing around with fasting, but I feel so much better. I'm off almost all the drugs. Wow. I became totally vegan. Right now, no meat. No, no, uh, no animal products. And the f- really funny thing is that um, I became vegan strictly for health reasons and scoffed at the idea of uh, uh, being an ethical vegan. And then about two and a half years in, three years in, after you stopped eating animal products, you're no longer trying to resolve your cognitive dissonance with eating animal products, because no one feels good about factory farming, nobody. And it became an ethical thing. I mm. I tried, I read Peter Singer and the philosophers who talk about um, compassion for animals. Mm-hmm. And I was bothered by PETA, who sometimes equate what we're doing to chickens to the World War II Holocaust mm. and stuff like that. And I was so offended and appalled by that. And then I realized that if you were to do some sort of metric, let's say that, you know, the suffering of a million chickens adds up to one human being. Let's just say that, make that up. Um, still, if you, don't, if you don't hurt those million chickens, you've decreased suffering. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter what the ratio is, less suffering is good. So my family, you know, my children, 13 and 14, it's very, very difficult with their friends and stuff to get them to do um, 
any sort of vegan diet. But we also know from studies that just what I'm doing makes a huge influence on them, although it may not be right now. Right. Um, so, you know, I'm still uh, involved in, uh, in that, uh, in, in giving money to that, uh, but... Um, Do you think you'd ever go back to eating meat? Is there ever Jeez, I don't think so. I really don't think so. I'm making stuff up now. I don't really know. Right, right. I don't really know this, but the microbiome, you know, we have more uh, cells that are foreign to us than we do cells of ourselves. Mm-hmm. There's more stuff in our gut. Bugs all over us, inside of us, yeah. And um, the crazy thing is that they have found, and this is a brand new science. We've only been thinking about this for 20 years. Brand new science, but the flora that lives in our gut, the fauna that lives in our gut, um, sends hormones and stuff to our brain. So the weird thing is that I was sure that although I would eat carefully, that every few weeks I would go out and have a steak and stuff. And uh, Gray Ray said to me, yeah, sure, you're gonna do that, no doubt, but just for three months you're not gonna. Then we're gonna, you're gonna go back to eating pizza and all that shit, don't worry about it. But for right now, let's do it right. And you go three months without any animal products at all. You feel good. And your microbiome changes, and the hormones change, and you don't have the desire. You would have never been able to convince me that I would be able to look at uh, look at a steak and just go, Really? You know, and I don't mean at any sort of intellectual level, or I mean at a, at a physiological yeah. level, just going, that's, that's just not something I eat. It's so strange that, and I thought that cheese. It's the best thing ever. Best thing in the world. Oh, man. And then um, it would took like three years, and now I look at cheese and kind of go, boy, that's that's milk that's gone bad, and milk is bad to begin with. I don't want to, yeah. you know, it's kind of like, Bleh. yeah. Well, you know, if you go to um, if you go to Japan, you know, um, cheese isn't part of their diet. A 1950s. Uh, resident of Japan would have had the same reaction to cheese as a 1950s United States re- resident would have had to raw fish. It was the same kind of mm-hmm. thing, you know. But um, so now I am um, strictly vegan. Wow. But vegan is the ethical part of it. The uh, the uh, uh, dietary part of it is really. Two words, you know, I wrote a whole book called Presto about my diet and how losing the weight. The whole book can be summed up in two words, which is whole plants. And the word whole is really important there Mm -hmm. because that includes extremely low salt, sugar, uh, and fat. Yeah. Because uh, olive oil is not whole. That's not a whole plant, Mm -hmm. you know. You can eat any amount of sugar you want, but make sure it's in fruit. Right, right, right. (laughs) Because there is a limit, although it seems to me to be huge, of how many blueberries you can eat. I can eat enough (laughs) blueberries to fill my head. I can eat that many blueberries. I can eat that many pomegranates. But that's nothing compared to the uh, amount of sugar you can eat. Just didn't like that. Wow. So, And I I also feel feel really good. And this is something, you know, that so... uh, embarrassing, you know, uh, being an atheist, uh, I don't have any sort of dichotomy of soul and physical. 
I believe that our mind is our brain. I believe that at a very deep level. And even though I believed that, thought I understood that, I was still shocked at the emotional changes in me from my diet changing. Wow. Now obviously, if you're an atheist and you believe everything's material, then that's, that's but apparently I didn't. Because hmm. I always thought there was me and then the food was separate. But now I realize- um, That you're connected to the food. I got happier. Wow. I got kinder. I got more polite. I had more fun with my children. It, all this stuff just happened that was uh, clearly tied to diet. I mean, Dustin's known me well. You saw changes in me that were totally separate from my body. Mm -hmm. They were totally emotional changes. You know, it's also very different when your children come in and say, uh, you know, you want to play and you know you want to and you know it'd be good and you kind of push yourself to do that and being able to just jump up and not think about it. Those are different things too, you know. Wow. So it's a big change and really nice. It's amazing. And you talk about being an atheist a bunch. I, I read that you read the Bible when you were younger, and that's what yeah, I, influenced I, you to be an atheist? I try to. I try to. Um, I, I get bored, but I try to always be reading the Bible a little bit. I try to be well-versed in it. Yeah, yeah. I always keep it on my on my Kindle and on my phone. I look through. When there's, when there's references, I always check them out. And people are talking about it. Yeah, I went to... Um, when you're an atheist, there's this... Um, uh, the silliness that people say, you know, uh, boy, uh, Christians must have treated you really bad. I'm so sorry for how you were treated. By... And I go, no, no, no. The problem was Christians treated me too good. I was treated very, very well. I'm from a uh, extremely happy family with a, uh, a mother and father and a sister who treated me perfectly. And I went to the first Congregationalist Church in Greenfield, Massachusetts, which was full of wonderful people. We had a tremendous pastor. And I went to a youth group. Wow. And uh, during youth group, uh, I took it very seriously. And the pastor asked us to, you know, read parts of the Bible. I read the whole Bible and came back and said, you know, I really don't like the anti-family stuff. I really don't like the, uh, the violence. I really don't like the slavery. I really don't like the disrespect. I really don't like the way the Old Testament God is portrayed. I don't like Jesus speaking bad about the family. Mm -hmm. I don't like uh, any of that stuff. And then that led me to, um, to other critiques. And finally, the pastor, um, pastor said, you know, and he said this, it's very hard to tell this story with the right tone because he said, you know, maybe you don't need to come to youth group anymore because you're doing a better job at convincing the other children to not believe oh, wow. in God than I am on the other side. But that's so easy to present as he threw me out. He didn't. It was all very nice. And I, be, I remained friendly with him. I think if you take children and take away their fear and bathe them in love, you have a little more trouble keeping religion. <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't have, I mean, my, and my dad, who um, was a Christian until the day he died, we maintained a wonderful relationship with my dad. Forgive me, I want to I prepare myself and phrase this so that I, I don't break down and cry. Uh, but my dad said to me, you know, it's going to be so hard uh, after I'm dead to convince God to bring you into heaven. But I'll tell you, I'm going to do it, no wow. matter what it takes. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah. And my dad would always say to me, you know, 
what bothers me, Penn, is you're such a good Christian. I would say, Dad, it's that believing in Christ thing that's really important. He, he forsaketh me and gained the world. It's all there. It's written. You No, no, but you, you do everything right, and that's got to count for something. I said, it doesn't. The book said it doesn't. Wow. <laughs> but my dad and I would, uh, he remained, um, you know, my dad didn't get that memo about dad's uh, doing conditional love, my dad's my dad's love, and my mom's too, was uh, completely unconditional, and they were um, fabulous, and the people of the church were fabulous, and so therefore, I went strictly to the dogma. If I had gone with, with how Christians treated me, I would be the most hardcore Christian wow. you've ever seen. It's, it's strictly intellectual with me. And, you know, I'm friends with, um, with Donnie Osmond, you know, and you talk about this, you know, he, famously a Mormon, and I'm friends with Glenn Beck, famously yeah. a Mormon. Take Glenn on here, yeah. And I talk about, uh, I talk to them about the fact that, you know, I agree with them on most everything. It just happens. I don't see any evidence for uh, for God. Yeah. And that was the way I was with my dad. My mom, in her later years, as, as is very common, became atheist. And my sister in her later years became, became atheist as well. But my dad told the line. Wow. So why don't you see any evidence for God? Mm, you've stated that backwards. It's, you know, where, the question is would be where is the evidence gotcha. uh, for God? Because you can't, you can't prove a negative. And so, um, oh, sure. I mean, uh, any, sort of, any sort of evidence of God would be, um, would be welcome. And I'd love right. to hear more about it. I mean, is um, you know, I was good friends with Hitch, Christopher Hitchens, who's and I'm friends with Dawkins. Actually, all the, you know, four horsemen of the new atheism uh, uh, I was buddies with. Yeah, you're always looking for that. You know, you have the problem with the prime mover. How did all this stuff get here? Uh -huh. uh, that's a really good argument. Except once you've said God, you then have to explain God. So you'll, right. you've only moved it back one degree. You haven't explained it anymore. Right. There's no way to prove it is what you're saying. There's no like proofing system. Of, of yeah, yeah. We, we don't have it falsifiable. Uh, so I, I think, you know, if you want to get, it's not that we don't have any evidence for there being no God. There can't be. We don't, we don't, there's no way you can know. It's not that I know there's no God. It's that I don't think I know and I also don't think anyone else knows. And that's mm -hmm. the important thing. The important thing is not believing someone else knows. I believe that if someone else had evidence of, uh, of God, they would have been able to present it well. Right. Now where there's an argument, always. Yeah, I think, I think we would see. Um, the problem is that, that physics and uh, biology has presented a world that does not need a God to explain anything. I mean, you have your founding fathers, everybody everybody before the middle of the 19th century uh, that would be called atheist now was called deist mm -hmm. because they didn't have, you know, a Jefferson. I don't mean to try to sum up a brilliant man's theology, but Jefferson seems to have had this point of view that there was no interventionist God. God had nothing to do with us, but he might have started things mm. rolling. But then Darwin comes along. Darwin gives us, or, or Wallace, because Wallace had the Alfred Wallace had the idea kind of before Darwin. Mm -hmm. Darwin popularizes the idea of uh, 
of evolution as we know it now. Right. And uh, once you have that piece of the puzzle, you don't really need any other explanation. And then, of course, we come into Lawrence Krauss and why why we have something instead of nothing. And you don't have to even go to string theory or multiverse. Mm -hmm. You can kind of have it subatomic levels. We do have things that can pop up. Right. But not knowing does not answer God. <laughs> I don't know does, does not mean that the answer is God. As a matter of fact, uh, all of science, all the revolution in science of the past 300 years, 400 years, can be summed up in those three words. I don't know. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Because mm. those three words were not said really before science. No king would say, I don't know. No religious figure would say, I don't know. Copernicus, Newton, uh, Darwin, they go, I don't know. And those are the most difficult and the most powerful words that, uh, that someone can say. Which is why it's so odd hmm. that atheists often give the rap, get the rap of being arrogant. Whereas the atheist point of view is, I don't know. And the people who sometimes call atheists arrogant are the people that say, oh yeah, there's a God and he cares a lot if I masturbate. Okay, so you're the center of the universe. Not only that, your penis is the center of the universe. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and yet the wow. atheists are the ones that are uh, arrogant because we say there isn't someone watching over us every second. <laughs> wow, right, 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 yeah. So it, it's not that you don't believe there's no God, you just don't know if uh, there is. Yeah, but I, when I say I don't know, you, you have to be, I feel I have to be careful. It's, I don't know that there's a God. I mean, it's possible there's a God the same way it's possible that a fairy lives in my toaster. <laughs> I mean, when I'm talking about possible, I'm talking about very, very, very unlikely. Sure. And... If there were something we're going to call a god, the chances that it's uh, Judeo-Christian uh -huh. seem to be really... Because, you know, you've got this whole, what what some wit called the Mediterranean death cults. You've got those Abrahamic religions, which give you, uh, you know, uh, Judaism, Christianity, and, uh, and, uh, and, and Muslims. And you have... Uh, all, those all come from the same thing. They all have the, the, uh, the you know, uh, Abraham. They all have Abraham. And uh, out of them come that, that one basic idea. And we now have it set up 
so that if one is true, the others are not. Mm. And right. once you, it's so the, you're wrong, I'm right. It's the problem with um, with the uh, uh, with the with the wager, you know, that oh, you might as well bet there's a god because if there's not, there's no harm, and if you uh, if there is, you you go to heaven. But that doesn't work because there's an infinite number of possible religions, and you could be believing in a god, and the god there really is his one rule could be don't believe in that other god. It's true, you know, and you have that you have that very strongly, and we have to be very careful um, to be fair, because uh, we so want to make many people who identify as atheists want to make their arguments from the most extreme. Yeah, you know, you make it from the from the terrorists sure, and you sure. make from the evangelicals. Right. Right. And um, that's really not fair yeah. because most, uh, the vast majority of religious people are good because the vast majority of people are good. Yeah. You know, out of seven billion people on this planet, most about seven billion are good. Yeah, exactly. The, the people that are bad are just noise. They don't even show up in the data, you know. Right. The number of people that actually try to do bad for other people Really hard to find. I mean, I I was uh, homeless and hitchhiking for years, and the number of bad people I found really hard to find. Even in jails, are hard yeah. to find. Yeah, you know, uh, people that are wrong uh, would be one hundred percent of Everyone. people I've met <laughs> and myself. Yeah. People that are wrong are very common. People that are evil or bad. Or, I, 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 the, the simple truth is, I don't believe there's such a thing as evil. Wow. I just believe there's such a thing as mistakes and wrong. Yeah. Uh, you talked about both your parents and having a very loving experience from both of them. Who was the most influential in your life and what was the biggest lesson they taught you? Well, you know, Teller always says that uh, uh, Penn got his sense of humor from his dad and his balls from his mom. My mom and I were the, were the same person. I mean, my mom, um, my, my, my mom was very old when I was born. She was 45. Wow. So I had a sister 23 years older than me. We're the only two children. So maybe I wasn't planned. It's possible they didn't say, <laughs> let's have two children 23 years apart. Wow. Possible. My mom was 45. And so I was a long-haired, hippie freak at 17 with my mother that was a little old lady. Mm -hmm. And we had the exact same syntax in the way we spoke the exact same opinions on everything. My mom and I got along mm -hmm. so, so well. It was almost, uh, uh, almost creepy. I mean, my, my, mo my mom and I would say the exact same things. And I was as close to my dad as anyone I know was close to their dads, but I was even closer to my mom. Wow. And uh, uh, it was very difficult for them. I mean, my, my, my mom was born in 1909. 1909 she was born. And then she went from seeing horse and wagon to a person on the moon. And she was then at the age of my age, you know, and that I am now in her 60s, early 60s, she then had to deal with um, someone who was, uh, you know, uh, listening to rock and roll and growing his hair down his back and wearing eye makeup. Very hard, very difficult. I still don't know how they did it. I don't know how I, I could do that. But I mean, they, I mean, I, I suppose there's a one word answer and that's a love. Mm. And um, I think the most important lesson, uh, at least in terms of how I deal with my children, is when we opened Off-Broadway, 
Penn & Teller opened off-Broadway. Um, there's a tradition. It's not important anymore because uh, print media isn't important anymore. But uh, as late as the 80s when we opened off-Broadway, off there was a tradition where you'd have a party. There probably still is. Yeah. I'm just out of that circle. <laughs> you'd have a party on opening night. Yeah. And the New York Times would come out at about 2.30 or 3 a.m. And you'd have the party near Times Square. Someone would run and get the paper, and they'd bring the paper in. They'd be reviewing the New York Times. And even as late as the 80s, the review in the New York Times could give you a really good hint of whether you had a hit, wow. you had a hit or not. Uh, it, was, it was very centralized, the power. So they'd have a party, uh, this really goofy thing, where if they read the review, you all celebrate. And if they don't read the review, well, you're closing. It's as simple as that. <laughs> so you have this awkward thing where you finish up the show at about 11, and then there's this three-hour party where people, uh, investors, have you know a million bucks riding on it. And the performers have their whole career, and everybody's there. So there's, it's very, very tense, but trying to pretend to be a party. And you're trying to pretend that you're celebrating what you just did, but you're really just wondering what's going to be said. Mm. Well, the New York Times came out. It was a, uh, as we say, a blowjob. They just absolutely loved Amazing Teller. Mm -hmm. And uh, it then meant that not only were our careers to take off, but also all the producers who were very new Mm. Uh, they're, they're still very successful producers. Wow. The most successful producer in New York, and our show was their first show. So my mother and my father were sitting with the producer. So this producer, man, his whole life is on this roll of the dice, man. His whole life. Of course, he would have done something else and been successful. But that night, it seemed deal. like there's nothing else in yeah, the world yeah. to that guy. And uh, so Richard's sitting there with my mom and dad. <laughs> and the guy uh, stands up. One of the investors uh, reads the review aloud. And uh, it's, you know, people are kind of in shock because it was so good that it was almost like too good. There yeah. must be something that's going to turn in here. There must be a final line that's going to yeah. say, but all that being said, they suck. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, they're Nazis. You know, something in the final line that didn't happen. So our producer, who was so relieved. I mean, the relief is the strongest thing, even more than joy. Right. Um, turns, turns to my mother and says, uh, doesn't that make you proud of your son? To which my mother responded, of course not. What's wrong with you? I've been proud of him the day he was born. Wow. I think that the New York Times makes a difference to how I feel about my son. And wow. he went, oh, no, and I didn't mean <laughs> Wow. And it went on with the celebration. Sure, sure. And the next day, you know, my mom now has, there's billboards of her son in Times Square. There's, uh, you know, uh, tickets are selling out like crazy. We're doing Saturday Night Live and David Letterman and all this stuff is going on. The next day we're walking through Times Square. My mom, my mom goes, that was just so sad when he turned and acted like there'd be some difference in the way I felt about you after wow. review in the New York Times. How can you feel that way? I said, Mom, he's got a million bucks riding on it. That whole review comes out. He's not really picking his words carefully. He didn't mean anything about you not being proud about, of me. She said, well, I guess not. I guess he was really nervous. But that really shook me up. I said, Mom, there was a good review in the Times. Yeah. Things are going well Let's for be happy. Yeah. She <laughs> said, yeah, yeah, things are going 
doing great, and I'm very happy, and I am very proud of you, but from the day you were born. I said, yes, Mom, that's important. So whenever my children say to me, you know, I got this good thing in school, or I did this well, you proud of me? And I said, no, no, from the day you were born. And by the way, you know, when you're, when you're 35, and, uh, and uh, uh, miserable, suffering alcoholic who's on death row, I will still be proud of you. Wow. Just so as you know. <laughs> wow. you take that to the bank. That's not changing. You don't have any power over that. There's nothing you can do that can ruin that. Would you, could you ever be disappointed in your well, Sure. I can be all those things, yeah. but uh, I've got to learn something from my mom. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> that's, ama- that's a great lesson. And what about your dad? Biggest lesson? Yeah, <clears throat> just, yeah. just uh, my dad wasn't apt to be uh, quite as articulate yeah. about that, and also being a uh, an American man, he was very comfortable saying "I love you," wow. very comfortable with his feelings, but might not be. I don't know. That's not true. I think it was just my mom was sitting closer to the producer. I think that may be all that was happening there. Wow. I'm trying to make a difference. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, it yeah. may be false. That's cool lessons from your parents. I'm curious, what's the lesson you feel like you still want to learn about yourself to overcome? Something you feel like you haven't learned yet that you need to learn? Maybe it was, you know, a few years ago, changing your health. Maybe it's patience, you know. I would like to learn to do things without ambition. I think that... um, You seem like you've been a very ambitious person your whole life. And I would rather be less so. Why? Um, I think that things you accomplish with gentleness can have a certain kind of beauty that I've ignored. Huh. I, uh, I always hit all my deadlines. I accomplish things. I get stuff done. And sometimes I think that um, that can be used as a cheat for not having a sweet, relaxed quality. I wish I were um, a little sloppier, a little less focused, a little less hard ass. And uh, I've been doing a, a lot of things toward that, uh, meditation and fasting mm. and all those kind of old hippie stuff that yeah. I rejected. <laughs> it's very odd that you'd, you'd be talking about wanting to be a little less productive, uh, a little less focused. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that's exactly what I'm saying. Wow. <laughs> How long have you been doing, you know, magic now? How many years has it been? Uh, I've been I've been working with Teller without a break, and that's important because you can talk about Mick and Keith Stones, and you can talk about how long they've been working, but they had three or four year breaks where they didn't talk to each other. Teller and I've been working continuously without a break, and really without even ten days of a break. Uh, yeah. For 44 years. 44 years. And we are the longest running headliners in the history of Las Vegas. Not just running now. We've been running in the same theater, the uh, conveniently named Penn and Teller Theater, for for 19 years. And uh, we've been in Vegas now for uh, 24, 25, something like that. Wow. But it's been 44 years. I started working with Teller actually a little before uh, I turned 20. Wow. Uh, and uh, it's all I've ever done. You know, and my, my children, my 
children have said to me, now, if you weren't doing a magic show with Teller, what would you be doing? And I said, well, children, I would be in prison. <laughs> this kept you focused. <laughs> There's yeah. nothing else I know how to do. Right. I have no other skills. Yeah. Your, your dad has no other skills at all. This is what I know. <laughs> yeah, we are, we are, I believe, I believe Tommy Smothers, when the Smothers brothers retired, said uh, it's now Penn and Teller who've been working the longest. Wow. And that's the way that'll, that'll be for a while. What? Uh, but you know, we, we do have Mick and Keith, and we do have, uh, we would have had Siegfried and Roy, and then Roy got his head bit off by a fucking tiger. So that Crazy. took him out of the running. But um, I, believe, uh, I believe we're around. There may be uh, a writing team mm -hmm. or a songwriting team or something that I haven't been aware of. But for, uh, for people on stage together, of course, you know, this was weird thing that happened. And I mean, you could write a sociological paper on this, but if you were talking about comedy teams and performance teams in the 50s and 60s, you would have been able to, without any study at all, you would have been able to off the top of your head name a couple dozen. Boom, boom, boom. Just bang them right out. You know, from Martin and Lewis and yeah. Abbott and Costello and, and uh, Laurel and Hardy. And uh, you, know, you would just be banging. Smothers Brothers, Burns and Schreiber, by, uh, you know, uh, Alan and Rossi. You're just banging them out like crazy. Now, you ask somebody and they got Penn and Teller. And what else? That's it. Then huh? they try to do stuff like Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David, but they don't perform. And, yeah. It, it gets very, very hard. You know, you, you've got, uh, you've got. Uh, Everyone wants to be their own thing, probably. It's now, very so. strange. It's very strange. You know, I, I remember once uh, made me laugh so hard. Uh, um, a woman was interviewing me. I guess we could figure out the year if we wanted to, but it must have been the early '90s. And she called me up to do an interview and said, "I used to work for people, then I worked for us. Now I'm working for self." I said, "What?" Well, that's all you need to know about our culture. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> We're from people to us to sell. That's okay. funny. Uh, but it's very funny because um, the idea of a partnership started having words like codependence as pejorative words started sneaking in on partnerships. Partnerships are um, can be very, very powerful. And the codependence becomes really interesting because there's stuff that I might have ended up being good at that I have no skills in at all because Teller's so good at them. Right. You know, because when we started, when we were young, if one of us was a little better at something, they just did it. You do that, I'll do this. Yeah. yeah. So there's all this time that I don't know how to do that because Teller's good at it. So you can almost look. Hmm. We didn't start out. You know, people talk about how, boy, you two are amazing because your strengths and weaknesses fit together perfectly. We didn't start out that way. <laughs> You develop that, you know? It's like, oh, I can't do that anymore. Right, right. <laughs> you know, well, with me, with Teller, too, it's that we never could. When you're in your early 20s, you're learning what you're going to do, and if they put you on a track where you're not, you know, and you see that, you know, you see that in sports, right? I mean, uh, guys who... Yeah. Uh, Guys who are in high school, professional sports figures, are always the best at everything, single thing in their high school. Yeah. And then ten years later, they can't play those other sports. Right. They become, you know, they become. Specialized, yeah. And you see that in theater too. You see people who are, um, 
tremendous. They, when they were in high school, they are comedy and drama and writing and directing and producing and acting. They can do everything. And then 15 years later, they only direct soap operas. Yeah. And those yeah, are the right, skills right. they have. Everything else has fallen away. Is there anything you wish you would have done differently over the last 44 years? Or No, it's all been perfect. Yeah. My life has been No, I mean, I don't know. There's, um, there's uh, one of the things that I think one has to do for self-worth is to find a way to, to enjoy where you are now. And you can't, um, you can't spend too much time. Uh, it's useful to have uh, embarrassment and regret so you don't mm -hmm. do them in the future. But there's only a certain amount that that's useful. Yeah. Like, yes, I mean, everything. Every single thing I would do slightly differently. Really? But being here now, I'm also completely happy with it. I mean, both those things are going to be true. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. If you look back and said, you know, um, should you have written a better clause in your contract off-Broadway so you'd be prepared for Broadway, yeah. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Should I have bought, uh, you know, should I have invested all my money in Apple when it first started? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Probably should have done that. Yeah. Should I have bought Microsoft at the time when I might have been able to own 10% of it? Probably. That would be a good idea. You know, should I have, uh, should I have paid more attention to uh, uh, friends of mine who were uh, gay and getting sick from AIDS earlier on? Yeah. Mm. Could have done all that, you yeah. know? You know, it's, it, it is the argument, of course, that uh, we have against psychic phenomena which is if there are psychics, if psychics are real, if they could do it, the question is, what were you doing on September 10th, 2001? And if the answer is you weren't trying to help, you go to jail now. Wow. Every psychic has to go to jail after 9-11. <laughs> oh, you knew, the, you knew the buildings were going to go down? Okay, go to jail. Yeah. <laughs> Those are your choices. You know, wow. You're either not psychic or you go to jail. Yeah. You know, there's there's just so many things. To use. <laughs> but I'm 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 going into shtickle sure, sure, instead sure. of really answering your question. I would be even nicer to tell her. Uh, I look Were back you mean and say, I, no, not particularly. But we both uh, we 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 both treat each other better now than we used to. Oh, that's good. But that's just age. Yeah. It's just maturity age. and experience. Uh, I would have. Um, I would have been less careful with money. Less careful? What do you mean? Well, Teller and I uh, uh, were so frugal, which is one of the reasons we're here now. Right. Uh, you know, when we would sign, when other people would sign a contract, they would, um, 
they would go out and buy a car. When Tell and I would sign a contract, we would go out and have coffee and a donut each. And celebrate. Donut yeah. each. That was our celebration because we saw so many of our peers. Go broke. And yeah, yeah. yeah. So we were able to have ups and downs. I mean, that was the thing that was so odd. You know, it was 84, 85, if Glenn were here, he'd tell me, that we hit off-Broadway and became what everybody considered successful. But what, what nobody knew was for street performers and for fairs, and for the circuit we were on, we were really successful. Right. I mean, we were crushing at a very yeah, yeah. different level. We, and we were also very prepared to live our whole life that way. Wow. We had no intention of the success we've had now. Our sights were always very low, and we accomplished our goals within two years of working together. Wow. And we're happy to go back. You know, we. My dad was a um, was a jail guard, who then retired to become a numismatist. Uh, which is his big dream, and he mm. had his own little coin shop and did everything. He was very happy. But to retire at 50 with a five-year-old son and start a new career took a great deal of bravery, mm. although, you know, not as much bravery as being a jail guard and never bringing home any anger or discomfort to That's your family. Crazy. It wasn't until I was 25 that I went, wait a minute, you had a shitty job. Yeah. <laughs> Because he would, you know, he's always happy, always smiling, came home happy. And it was, I kind of, and he went, oh, yeah, we don't, we don't need to talk about that. Wow. It wasn't a good job, and I was glad to have left it. But, Dad, was it terrible? <laughs> wow, wow. You know, talk, anyone talk my, about it, yeah. It's pretty dark was, in there. Uh, my dad was uh, as light and sunny a person as you could ever find. Wow. When he was told late in life, he was... Uh, he was uh, going to be going blind. Mm. He was depressed for three minutes, five minutes, and said, got to find a way to get a white cane for the front of my car so I can still drive. Wow. I mean, that's where he, that's well, I mean, cool. his, his optimism was, uh, that's cool. I think his, his optimism was, I think, psychopathic. <laughs> right, right, right. That's funny. Uh, so we were very, you know, when we were working Renaissance festivals and fairs, we were very, very careful with money mm. and very, very wise. And if I were to know the future, I would have said, eh, spend a dollar. You're okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. You're going to have money in the future, yeah, so have fun. Fine. Yeah, yeah. But we didn't. It wasn't, it wasn't you know, bad. Uh, so what I'm saying is Teller, uh, Teller's father was a commercial artist, mm -hmm. and his mother worked uh, retail at a department store. And my dad was a jail guard. My mother was uh, mostly homemaker. Mm hmm so we were making as much money as our families were making uh, in show business right. by the time I was uh, 21. Crazy. That's where our sights were. Teller and I never, you know, if you talk to Houdini, Madonna, Howard Stern, Lady Gaga, Beyonce, Paul McCartney, every one of those people will, and I believe has, said that they should have been more successful. They should be more successful. Wow. Everyone. Paul McCartney has said multiple times the Beatles should have been more successful than they were. They were huge. Yeah. They were huge. Well, they, yeah. They, well, my point is that's a different kind of person. Mm. Teller and I are more successful than we planned. Our life was laid out to we can probably do shows for two or 300 people a night, and this is the way we'll make our living and we'll live our life. And we'll do shows that we love, and that many people, we can make a living. And it turned out we were off by almost an order of magnitude. It's about 2,000 people a night that like wow. our show. 
So we are much more successful than we should have been. It was a weird little glitch sure. that more people ended up liking us than really should have. We're very happy with that, very content, yeah. but it's not like, you know, Paul McCartney actually thinks we, I should push a little more. Wow. <laughs> if you talk to Paul, he would tell you the Beatles should have had a few more hits. Wow. <laughs> what is uh, What do you think is your superpower back when you were 20 to 22 range to now, what's your superpower? My superpower has always been knowing what I care about. That is, I tend to be able to do that. Uh, um, I'm not as good with it as some. I mean, mm. I was told by someone who's very close to Bob Dylan that Bob Dylan's major skill is he always knows what he should be doing now. I should, I should be painting now. Should be playing the guitar now. He never sits and goes, what should I do now? He always has something. I haven't quite got that, mm. but I'm really good at not caring about things mm. and then caring about the stuff I care about. And when I see people who don't have that skill, I mean, you can say, uh, I say, I don't know and I don't care. All the time. Hundreds of times. <laughs> <laughs> I say it, I mean, uh, on the way in with Glenn, uh, do you want to do this gig? Do you want to do that gig? I don't, know. I don't care. Whatever you want. Fine, fine. And when Teller, you know, when Teller's setting up stuff, and you know, Teller didn't even ask me. People are always shocked that he'll be doing the whole set design and laying stuff out. And, right. And people will say, you're going to clear this with pending. He, he didn't care. He didn't care. <laughs> you know, and I'll, I'll write copy for something and it's never cleared with Teller. It just goes in, boom, boom. We know what we care about. And uh, What do you care about? I care about art a lot. I care about ideas in shows. I care about writing a lot. Uh, I care about friendships, yeah. you know. But I have no visual sense at all. I have no, uh, I have no visual imagination. I can't close my eyes and picture anything. Wow. So I don't care about any sort of layout. I don't care about where I live or what it looks like, which allows my wife and children to do whatever they want. Yeah. But it's very easy for me. Uh, I see people who have, who have an opinion on everything. Now, sometimes professionally, there have been times in my life when uh, I have uh, augmented our career and gotten press by doing pundit-type stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there was one, right, time, right. <laughs> one time I went on Bill Maher. There was a whole section in the middle that they got on that they got off on a tangent, and I hadn't done the prep work. So I didn't know. Right. And on top of that, they were talking about something I didn't also care about. So I sat quietly on Bill Maher for uh, four minutes. Now you cannot realize how much you will be yelled at <laughs> by everybody if you actually don't know and don't care in the middle of a television talk wow. show. <laughs> wow. So now I, you know, I try to have professionally Opinions would be put in that situation. Sure, sure. If you, um, uh, but I'm talking about in a, in a bigger sense of my life. Knowing what you care about is really important. I also think that um, I think reading is really important yes. and harder to remember that that's uh, that's important because we have um, so many uh, easier ways to get information that we sometimes forget that. There's nothing more personal than reading yeah. because you have to um, you have to decode, and coding that um, uh, is really really important. 
as, as we talked about it, maybe we weren't even rolling then, but um, in terms of dealing with information, I try really hard not to uh, let myself be exposed to information that uh, I don't know is accurate mm. and maybe too emotional. Oh, that's you know, good. Um, good thing it's going to affect your day or your hour. Or... No, no, it's, it's just that I don't want to um, see footage of people being shot and blown up because if I read about that, I can, I can put it in the right statistical thing, mm -hmm. you know. I'm also trying really hard. Um, I've been reading a lot and thinking a lot lately about um, about how useless empathy is for helping other people. How useless empathy yeah, is. Empathy seems to be a really bad indicator because empathy tends to be familial and tribal. Uh, I care more about the people in this room than I care about people halfway around the globe. And it... There's a whole movement now that I'm getting interested in, I haven't done much with it, called effective altruism, which tries to find out how to take money and effort and really make it so that it alleviates the most suffering without being localized. I was mm. seeing someone speaking yeah. the other day and bragging on the fact that their charity, we have a charity that every penny goes right to the Las Vegas area. And I'm going, yeah, because what do we care about, Chad? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that kind of thing, and you know, there's reasons for that mm -hmm. because people that didn't care more about their families and other things didn't reproduce. And I obviously want to take care of my children, but I have to also remember that there's there's bigger ways uh, to take yeah. care of that. So yeah. I, I'm thinking a lot lately about uh, information and and empathy. And kindness. It's interesting because I read this, I don't know if it's accurate, that you said that magic has a lot to do with empathy and seeing things mm -hmm. through another person's it's, eyes. It's using the same, it's using the same words, but it, it's different than what I'm talking about right now. Yeah, yeah. Teller is probably the best alive now, among the best that's ever lived, at being able to see the stage uh, from the audience point of view and forget what he knows. It is uh, a skill that is always important in art. Mm. If Whether you're painting, whether you're doing music, you have to have the feeling of what is it like to be someone else hearing this. It has to be um, uh, the opposite of solipsistic. You, you've got to see yourself outside. Really useful skill. But in magic... When you're doing a performance or... Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Well, you, have to, you have to know. You have to have a theory of mind. Uh -huh. When you're talking to somebody, you have to be able to... In order to say a sentence to you, I have to be able to imagine what you're like hearing that and who you are. And if I were doing this interview with someone that English was a second language, it would change the entire interview. Sure. If I was doing this with somebody who was uh, was, was particularly... You know, one it matters who you're talking yeah. to. And to get a general, what's it like for a person to walk into the Penn and Teller Theater? What is that person like? Well, that is what you need for comedy or music or anything. But in magic, you've got a whole different thing because mm. you know things that they will never know that if they did know would change their experience profoundly. Sure, sure. So Teller's able to say, no one's going to see your left hand going into your pocket there. And you go, how do you, you know? know? How do you know? <laughs> and Teller's able to to do that shift, that wow. ego shift. But um, talking about empathy artistically and talking about empathy uh, uh, philanthropically are two two very different things. 
theory of mind used to be something we believed was uh, was uh, specifically human. Now we find out that birds have it. And it's possible that mm. every animal has it. You know, all the tests that we've had for humans can do this, other animals can't. Every one of them's fallen apart. Right, right. <laughs> every, you know, the mirror test fell apart. Uh, theory of mind has fallen apart. We now find that crows, when they are storing food will store food differently if they know another crew is, crow is watching. Wow, which interesting. Which is a profound theory of wow, mind. Wow, interesting. Profound theory of mind knowing, oh, they're going to remember this, so i got to trick them this way. <laughs> Jesus Christ. They're like the magicians uh, of the wild. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so now that we've got that down to crows, all bets are off. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, so when I'm talking about it, in the master class that we did, I talk a lot about empathy. Wow, interesting. Uh, artistically, because being able to imagine yourself as someone else mm. is, um, is the key. very important. Yeah. You've got, I want to ask a couple final questions, but you've got this master class. Is it out right now? It's yeah, coming yeah, out? Yeah, yeah. It's, out. It's, it's out. It's out right now. It's out and doing well, I might add. And people can get that at masterclass.com. Yeah. And uh, you're teaching about what magic, magic. Yeah, you're magic. teaching about the setup you're teaching about yeah, everything we try to teach magic in persuasion general, although, uh, we do all the stuff you need to do to teach magic we teach actual tricks that they can really perform someone like me yeah, who's yeah. not good if you, if you at know magic. nothing about it you can go into it but we also we master class let us do this and it's really important we also talk a lot about theory, what we've learned from magic. Mm, cool. uh, and we've gotten, and I'm, just, I'm very gratified by this, we've gotten a lot of feedback from people who have no desire to learn magic, but really want to learn what they can learn from magic. That's cool. And that, that I, I'm actually um, much more interested in the yeah. theory of magic than I am in tricks to fool people. Tell us what to fool people. That's cool. <laughs> As they say on our show, fool us. Yep. Fool us really means fool teller. Fool teller. <laughs> if you fool teller, you fool better teller. Are you fooled all the time? Or you... <laughs> no, no. But there have been, and we underline them, five or six examples in a seven-year run where teller was fooled and I wasn't. Really? But for the most part, it's see the trick. You're like, I got it. <laughs> I, I got this one. And there's ones where teller's been dead wrong, and I've been right. Oh, wow. What I'm saying now is... Uh, out of 300 performances, I'm talking about five. Five, you're like, <laughs> yes. So let's, let's keep where that percentage yeah. is. Yeah. Wow, how many times have you guys been, I guess, wrong when you thought you had it figured out? It's always more gray than that. Yeah, it's like, um, okay, we got most of it right. The number of times now. we've had the feeling that we wrote the show to get the feeling of, which is we do not have a clue have been just a handful of times. But man, wow. that's an amazing feeling. That's yeah, gotta feel amazing. How, amazing like, how did they get me? Yeah, no idea, no idea, no idea. Just totally got us. Now afterwards, do you talk to the magicians oh, and no, they- No, no, we don't afterwards talk to reveal, magicians. They reveal, they reveal. The second it happens, they go to commercial and they run to us. And tell you. And tell you. Like, yeah, they just- they're like, whoa. You know, people always so say, excited, so yeah. are they, um, they're really cagey afterwards, right? You go, no, no, there was one ex one ex exception to that. And he's a good friend of ours, Handsome Jack. He still hasn't told you? After he fooled us, we, he came up afterwards and went, uh, so you wonder how, how I did that? We went, yeah, he went, f*** you. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was it. Then a few weeks later. He revealed it, he yeah, revealed that's it. great. But he wanted to monkey with us, but most of the people run over. Oh, that's cool. Go, Yo, you didn't know? Look at me, show this prop. 
built like they were going wrong. That's, that's cool. That's cool. So you got the master class. You got uh, the fullest show, which I've watched a bunch of times. It's a lot of fun. You've got your podcast, which is called Penn Sunday School. Penn Sunday School, which is about you sharing about your uh, beliefs and inspiration. Who knows? It's about whatever pops in. Train of thought. Yeah, yeah. exactly. No, but we we end up. We talk a lot about magic. We talk a lot about philosophy. Yeah, that's cool. We talk a lot about art. And then, you know, try to keep it funny. Yeah, that's great. And you've got your show in Vegas. Yeah. And people can come there. It's at the Rio. They can. And it's every week, every weekend. No, no. It's, uh, it's, uh, it is uh, Saturday through Wednesday every week. 250 shows wow. a year. About Jeez. a quarter of a million people see us there. I, got, I still haven't seen it, so Dustin said he's going to make sure I get to come sometime. So I'm excited. He's got the muscle. I'm excited to check people. it out. You exactly. know people, don't you? Um, you can make it happen. You know a guy. You know a guy. <laughs> this is a question I ask at the end. It's called um, the three truths. So I want you to imagine it's your last day performing. Let's okay. say it's 20 years from now, 50 years, whenever you want it to be your last day. Tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. <laughs> You're done. You've, you've extended yourself, yeah. And imagine um, it's the whole world is watching through, they're in a huge theater, they're in other theaters in the world, they've turned on the TV and they all get to watch you share your final performance. You did the show, you fooled people, you wowed people, you inspired people, you did what you do. And you get to leave three things you know to be true behind to the whole world, watching or listening, wherever they are. And these will be your three lessons to the world, your three truths, the things that you know to be true that you would want to leave behind as a message of inspiration. What would you say are your three truths? There is no God. There's just us. Take care of each other. People are good. Things are getting better. Powerful. I like that. <laughs> Uh, and how can we find you online? Is there a way to connect with you? No way. It's impossible. I have a completely invisible online. I've taken, I've ghosted myself. You know, actually, any search for me anywhere can find me. Right? <laughs> I think it's, uh, uh, it's penandteller.com, right? P-E-N-N-A-N-D-T-E-L-L-E-R. Okay, -E -E cool. And you guys are on social media. Because there's no, there's no ampersand in, uh, in IP addresses. Pen and and um, yeah. yes, I'm on, uh, I'm on Twitter as at Pendulette, and my spelling of my name is wrong because my grandfather was an idiot. So he changed, everybody knows Gillette is spelled with a G, but my grandfather changed it. So it's now J-I-L-L-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E. So P-E-N-N, -N, pen with two N's, J-I-L-L-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E. I told a friend of mine that my grandfather changed the spelling from G to J, because he said that G is a G sound and J is a J sound. And my friend said, real genius, your grandfather. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I want to acknowledge you for a moment, Penn, before I ask the final question, uh, for, for your consistency, for showing up consistently as yourself. From what I know about you, from what I've seen over the years and all the stuff you've done, you're authentic to who you are and your beliefs, and you don't, you don't necessarily doubt yourself. And I think it's inspiring to see someone show up every day in partnership with someone else in a world of people that want to isolate themselves and have all the credit themselves. You show up as the, you know, maybe seeming louder, more aggressive personality, but still in partnership to, to inspire so many people every single day in your work, you. in your, your performances. And I know you act, you write your book, your messages. And I think it's really inspiring that you 
outperformed what you thought you were capable yeah, of. Yeah, we did a lot. We did a lot better than we. And you've been doing it for 44 years, and I'm excited to see what's in the well, future. Thanks. My final question is: What's your definition of greatness? Thelonious Monk said, and forgive the uh, the uh, the gendered language: the genius is the one who is most like himself. Mm. Being most like yourself, uh, or as Miles Davis said it. Uh, it takes a long time to sound like you. Mm. I think that there's a certain kind of uh, uh, purity and uh, and greatness in in just trying to be um, trying to be as honest about who you are as possible. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. Yeah, Ben, thank you, man. Appreciate Thanks it. Man. Thank you, man. There you have it, my friends. I hope you enjoyed this episode. So exciting to hear about the transformation Penn had with his health and everything he's up to in magic still 40 years later. It's really hard to get to the top in any industry in our lives, but to stay at the top for that long. It's impressive, and there's lessons to be learned from this model that you can apply in your business, your career, your life, and your health. If you enjoyed it, make sure to share this with a friend. Be a hero, be a champion in someone's life today. Allow someone the gift of learning something new to help them improve their life. That's what we do here at the School of Greatness. We give you the tools and the education to help you live a better life. Just share the link, lewishouse.com slash 814, or you can just copy and paste the link that you're listening to on any of the podcast platforms that you listen to. Just share this with them, text them, post it all over social media, the more you spread the message, the more this movement of inspiration grows and the, the message of greatness can be had by all. So thank you all for all your support. If you haven't left a review yet, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. The more reviews we get, the more it spreads. So you can share this with a friend. You can leave a review and rating. And always, we're looking for feedback on how we can improve this and bring you bigger guests, inspiring guests, unknown guests, that can give you the tools and inspiration to help you live a better life and improve all areas of your life. And to bring it back to the beginning, Raoul Dahl said, and above all, watch with glittering eyes the whole world around you because the greatest secrets are always hidden in the most unlikely places. Those who don't believe in magic will never find it. You get to create magic every single day of your life. In the dull moments, in the sad moments, in the uncertain moments. Be magic in the world. Bring the energy, bring the love, bring the joy, bring the passion, bring the excitement. The world makes room for passionate people and you get to create the passion that you wanna experience around you. When people are sad or frustrated or unsure of themselves, shift the energy by being the magic that they've been waiting for. I love you so very much, and you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great.
you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. <laughs> 